Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real-Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew, and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Since these episodes are pre-recorded, we won't be taking live Q&A, but you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtimeadvantic.com, and we will be more than happy to follow up. Joining me today is Chris McGugan, SVP Solutions and Technology at Avaya. In addition to his current role at Avaya, Chris holds numerous board and board advisorship seats at tech startups and previously had senior product and marketing roles at companies including Cisco, Motorola, and Belkin. Thanks for your time, Chris. We're going to have some fun this morning. Great. Thanks for having me, Blaine. You bet. Well, Chris, that's quite a, quite a resume I blasted through there. Please tell us a bit more about yourself, Avaya, and your role at Avaya. Sure. Uh, my role at Avaya, I lead the uh, overall organization responsible for, uh, again, solutions and technology, which encompasses all the products that we bring to market today. Um, I rejoined Avaya just recently in April of this year. Uh, after a four-year uh, break in time here at Avaya, I'd spent six years here previously that ended in 2014. Um, mm -hmm. Took some time off in the middle there, um, spending time in the IoT space and private equity, and it was nice to come back into a uh, telecommunications company that was in the middle of transformation. It's a definitely an exciting time to be here. Interesting. Tell us, for those that haven't heard of Avaya, tell us a little bit more about what, it, uh, what its solutions are. Sure. Avaya's got a long, long history, uh, stemming back from Bell Labs. If you go back right. in time, uh, AT&T, uh, divestiture went on, and Avaya was a spin-out of, of AT&T, specifically focused on voice over IP in the contact center space. Um, we are the, one of the world's largest manufacturers of enterprise and SMB telephony platforms. Uh, we service premise customers, we service cloud customers, um, and we build the largest contact centers in the world. So pretty much of the, uh, the Fortune 100, we would call many of them our, our, our customers today. Interesting. So uh, obviously you're seeing a lot of what's going on at the intersection of business and technology these days. What, what excites you? What excites you a lot about what's going on or excites you most? Yeah. You know, I, I tell you, it's, it's a really interesting time. If you think back about, um, I think what in many cases made the cell phone possible um, and then the cell phone made voice over IP possible. No, number one, it was changing the expectations of the users and how they interacted with their telecommunications infrastructure. But I think we're at another junction point today where the majority of our uh, users interacting with an enterprise or with a contact center are using the mobility or their mobile phone. Um, that affords us a very different means of interacting with those users. We, we can, we can auto-identify uh, auto users. We have the ability to know location specifics, uh, capabilities of their device. We can have a very rich communication uh, session, if you will, between the, the, the enterprise, the contact center, and or that user. So I think that, that probably is one of the biggest uh, interesting parts for me because that's driving quite a bit of how um, operators and CIOs are thinking about the customer journey or the experience that they're offering up for how they interact. And that really, that, that, that rich technology basis of it allows us to transform the way that we interact with each other. 
Very interesting. And, and sounds like it's a very transformative moment in, in the, you know, enterprise communications, telecommunications area. And so a, a good segue into the general topic of digital transformation. Mm -hmm. So you recently published a really interesting blog post about the importance of culture in digital transformation and the relationship to the role of DevOps. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to hear more about the thesis of your blog post and obviously we'll encourage uh, people at the end to, to read it in full, but tell us more about your thesis. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, one of the things that I think enterprise software companies are also on, on their own internal side having to handle transformation today, it is in and around the notion of, of moving to a DevOps community where in the past we've often built software and we delivered it, you know, every six months or, a, or a, an update or an upgrade or a major release. And when we think about how consumers have been, quote, consuming technology, it's not been based on, you know, that annual release cycle. It's as soon as it's ready with whatever feature or features are, are coming out. And I think we're going to see that transformation happen in enterprises. Some of our largest customers today are trying to determine how best to leverage the DevOps style mentality for their own delivery of enterprise applications. And I think we have to do the same thing as a manufacturer in moving in that particular direction. Um, the blog post this morning talked a bit about culture. And I think that's an also a big part of this. You know, many of our, of, of my, of my compatriots around the world who build software have moved to an agile uh, development methodology, meaning we can very rapidly um, bring features into a particular product. But it talks a bit about culture, and, and, and culture in, a, in, a, in, a, um, in an agile methodology from a software development perspective mm -hmm. really gets into team trust and how well you, you're, you're ensuring that the code complete and the code quality as you develop. And when you think about that from a DevOps perspective, now it has to go all the way through the chain into the delivery of that software into the public domain, whether it be in the enterprise or in, you know, in, in, in the big bad internet. So um, that post this morning was talking about the transformations that are required to drive a, a DevOps style culture in an R&D organization. Very, very interesting and, and well-written. Actually, since many of our listeners come from the business or operations side, not necessarily from the IT side, to step back a little bit and tell us what you mean by DevOps or what the, the term even means. I'm, it's, I'm not sure many might be familiar with it. Yeah, DevOps is, a, is a, an unusual in tech. We like to try to condense things together and make them into an acronym if we can. Um, it's the shortening of, of development and operations, and it really brings together the tail end, if you will, of the development cycle and the delivery and deployment cycle that normally had been two separate entities. Often in an enterprise, you would have a procured software package that would come into the enterprise. It would be validated. There would be user acceptance testing. There'd be all this system verification and things that went into play, whereas you were looking at a, an 18 to 24 month window for delivering um, new software. Whereas you look at the, the, and again, I'll pick on the consumer sector today, but all of us you know, carry around these little, these little things in our pocket. And we never really know, unless you pay close attention, that a new release of your favorite app got pushed to you last night or during the day today, right. because you just expect it. And I think that we're gonna see that type of expectation happen in the enterprise as well, where we're not looking for these massive monolithic upgrades, we're looking for incremental feature segment and growth as we go ahead. And in, you know, it happens today in any of our cloud-based SaaS offers that we have, whether you're using Salesforce or NetSuite or any of those types of packages, you know, Salesforce and Oracle and all the above in a cloud service are continuously adding functionality into those types of applications without us having to go back and you know, monolithically validate every step along the way. 
Very interesting. Very interesting. And so I think this probably touches on to a, a topic I like to discuss uh, frequently, which is who should own fundamentally own digital transformation in the organization? Is it, is it the IT side or is it more the business or operation side? And I think this DevOps concept is related to the answer to that question, actually. So I'd, lo I'd love to hear more of your thought on that. That's a great question, Blaine, and I think there's, there's a lot of blurry lines on the answer to it because depending upon the type of organization you are, it may be the business driving that, it may be the IT driving it, but what I would say is that it has to be a very tight partnership between the two because so much of it involves the um, information technology executives and or staff who help deliver that application, if you will, to market, but it also has to be a, a transformation in the business from what they expect, how they expect it, and how they consume it. So it really is a partnership between the two of them. Um, some companies have, have, especially in a cloud-based company, if you think of it as a Salesforce or again as a, uh, any other cloud delivery vehicle, that DevOps organization lives within the product house, if you will, the team who actually develops the product and they deliver it all the way to market. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, the, in those particular entities, the IT organization is providing a platform and keeping the, the, the lights on, if you will, and making sure the data center runs. But the application is actually delivered by the core development organization all the way into production. Interesting. It's interesting how, you know, as, as businesses keep evolving to be more digital in nature, the notion of, of even IT versus operations blurs. I was reading a stat just the other day that a quarter of all Goldman Sachs employees are now software developers. One quarter of Goldman Sachs employees. So uh, obviously figuring out how to continue their digital transformation into the future of, of finance and financial services will be very much driven by the intersection of technology and, and people and DevOps, just what we're talking about now. No, I think you're right. And, and, and you know, find the, the FinTech space is, is most definitely uh, highly concentrated today with technology and with all of the digital trading that you have going on and the decisioning trees that go on behind that from an AI perspective is, is, is pretty important. Um, but, but I do think, you know, the other, the other question that we should all always consider too in looking at this is, it, you know, if I have a hundred software developers, how many DevOps engineers do I need to deliver that particular service to market? Um, and I've seen, I've seen all types of ratios from, you know, three to one, four to one, two to one in some cases, depending upon the type of service you're talking about. So um, I'd be curious to see how, how uh, Goldman's lines up their DevOps to Dev uh, uh, ratios. Very interesting. Very interesting. So back on the general topic of digital transformation, have you, uh, have you been, since you've been at Avaya a few times now, have you have an, an experience in terms of how the company has been able to digitally transform itself? in the last few years and what, and what it's doing, obviously without uh, giving any confidential information, but uh, what's going on in the digital transformation of your company? You know, when you think about digital transformation, I think you, you really have to think about running a real-time business and that is really, you know, leveraging technology to bring it to the front and center and the core of what it is that you do. Um, you know, the, the digital transformation has many different faces to a company. It can be anything from driving customer experience and journey in how you interact to how you run back office. And it's interesting, you know, when I, when I started, um, when I started back at Avaya, 
and one of the core goals that I set forth for engineering was again moving toward towards agile and, and getting that as a, a core methodology. Uh, one of the first queries that came to me was from our HR organization to say, well, when you're finished building that transformation office for for R and D, when can we start to look at back office processes here in the company and transform mm -hmm. those to an agile process methodology as well? So when I think about about that whole notion of digital transformation, I think it really starts to play on every part of the business in just in different ways and in different times. Hmm, very, yeah, absolutely. I fundamentally agree. And, and you brought up a topic which is near and dear to my heart, the notion of a real, of turning your business into a real-time business. When I talk to companies about their digital transformation, whether or not they use the word real-time, I think that's often core to moving out of an old model or an old process or an old application, which was more, you know, batch, in a, in a batch mentality, the way uh, technologists think about things, toward things happening in real-time, right? Inputs coming in actions being taken as as they flow in and around a business I think do, do you agree that's is that the concept you were touching on a absolutely you know when you look at um, when you look at you know all that's going on today and I know this is gonna sound like a buzzword soup but between you know artificial intelligence IOT the notion of big data and analytics that go with all of these pieces all of that is driving at, at decisioning at a, at a much faster pace and so it is about getting closer to real time. You know, you, you, here, here, you know, here, here we are at quarter end uh, this weekend, and, and I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, what's the quarter close process going to take? How long will it take? Is it instantaneous? Is it going to be a week? Is it going to be a day? You know, what does it look like? So I, I think that as we're looking at, at, at transforming all of our businesses and continuing to be competitive in the market space, it is driving towards that notion of real time or, or, or pseudo real time maybe, but it's uh, it is definitely a core part of all that I think many of our of our executive teams are thinking through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another term you brought up a few times now is agility, and, and I think you're using it mostly in the technology uh, parlance of running an agile development process. But for overall corporate agility is, as I'm sure, uh, an element of most digital transformation initiatives again. How do you think is there a way for companies to increase their agility overall? What, what can they do to become more agile, not just in their development process? Yeah. No, it's a, it, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, business processes are one of those things that you tend to, uh, when you're setting up a company or you're, you're looking at how you're going to run or you're, or you're building your ERP system, you, you, you find ways to uh, automate, if you will, certain business processes. And many of the times, you know, they're created, they're built into a tool, and then they're, they're set in stone. Um, and I would encourage our, our, your, your listeners and, and my compatriots in the market space to think flexibly about that. And it's, uh, um, you know, so often we get caught into, that's how we've always done it. How could you possibly change? Um, the, the world is rapidly evolving around us. And if we aren't capable of, of transformation, um, we will get stuck. And so I, I think that it's not a, there's not a binary answer to it um, other than I think we have to always challenge if that's the right business rule for today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. And if it's not the right business rule, then you need to be able to react and change it now. 
right? Not That's not right. go through a two year long process. <laughs> you know, you need to be to be agile and to be able to make make the adjustment because the world is moving too fast. Mm-hmm. And that's why most disruptive startups and other companies are are beating the incumbents in many cases because they are able to move fast. They're able to respond, if if not in the moment, then in very short order to the market as it's dynamically changing. And the larger uh, you know legacy enterprises haven't been able to do that in the past, although. They're, they're waking up to that very quickly now, I think. I think you're right, but that actually gets back to some of the, well, I don't mean to keep harping on Agile, but it gets back to that small team mentality. You know, you, you, let's go back 10 years ago, it was not abnormal to walk into a conference room with 35 people and, and you'd spend two hours and you'd ask yourself, what did I accomplish at the end of that meeting? Um, and you're seeing now where you're seeing much smaller teams acting and driving on a particular decision or a topic. I think that that um, that uh, uh, focus is something that is really important when we think about businesses in in the form of transformation. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's turn. You brought up a couple of you know uh, new newish technology trends that are that are you know that have been very hot for a while, uh, and let's dive into those in a little more detail. So you brought up AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning. What do you, you know? What do you think will be the impact of of AI and machine learning on on you know digital transformation in general? What's your what's your general working theory these days on the impact of AI? Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll give a very Avaya-centric view of it because it's sure. a space that, that is important to me. Um, uh, you know, I mentioned that we build some of the world's largest contact centers. And, and when you think about um, traditionally what a contact center has done when a call comes in, it was, I need to know what they want, who can best you know, help them. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll cue that call into a particular queue, if you will. And generally, it'll be language-based and skill-based. And not a lot of parameters are going into that decisioning tree. But when you think about um, the amount of data that's available today for coming up with um, information about why that person's calling, what they might be trying to accomplish, um, and then how can I better handle that particular interaction, now I start, to, I start to want to bring data sources in from my CRM system. Maybe I want to look at the um, phone number they're calling from if I already know it, if they called before. Are they calling from a mobile phone? Were they on my web last week? So putting together all of those various data points about a particular interaction and trying to drive to the most rapid and, and, and positive experience for that consumer is really important. And so you know, we recently announced a strategic partnership with a company called Affinity. Um, And and Affinity allows us to bring uh, a pretty incredible um, contextual AI engine on top of the contact center. And and what I mean by contextual is it really is about how to um, solve a particular customer's problem in the most meaningful and and expedient manner if if you're trying to optimize for speed or maybe you're trying to optimize for uh, upsell if you're an insurance company, for example. But the, the, the Affinity AI engine gives, us, gives the customer the ability to get very um, specific on what they're trying to optimize for and allows them to tune that AI engine to really drive significant success in their particular environment. So I think AI is going to be a, a, a key driver in contact center transformation going forward. Um, so that's a, that's a big piece uh, of investment for us as we, as we look at 2018, 2020, 2020 and beyond. 
Very interesting. Now, do you see, you know, we talk a lot in this, in this series about human machine collaboration, about these increasingly intelligent systems, like you were just talking about being able to, you know, enable more effective human workers and, and actually vice versa, being, being able to literally collaborate together. Do you see that as being, uh, you know, an important outcome of, of where you're going or where Avaya is going towards with the use of AI? Or are we fundamentally talking about re take, replacing people and taking them out of call centers all, all together? You know, um, I don't think we're going to replace people in call centers altogether. There's still things that need a human touch or need an individual to, to interface with. But I do think there's ways we can make those interactions much more meaningful, uh, much quicker, uh, you know, pick whatever metric you're after. But imagine if you're doing pseudo real-time uh, transcription services on a particular call. So behind the scenes of, a, of an agent to consumer experience, what if my AI engine is building a word cloud of all that's been said during that conversation and starting to rank those words? And so now I can do sentiment analysis. I can determine, you know, is Blaine starting to get angry because of this conversation? Do I need to offer to bring a supervisor into the mixture? Or do I need to say, hey, you know, I know you're having a rough time with this. Maybe, maybe I defer a payment for a month or something. So there's, there's things we can do in real time to make the experience much better. Um, and so I do think that there's a, there's a human element and human benefit to, to some of these technologies that we can leverage in, in different ways than we have in the past. Maybe it's not just about finding the right agents. Maybe it's about providing an active coaching methodology for that particular agent. Because if you can marry up that word cloud along with a backend knowledge base, now maybe I'm bringing articles to that agent that they might see on their screen to make your experience better, just to solve your problems faster. Right on, right on. And that, that absolutely is the future of, of the customer experience in, in call centers, I think, enabled by AI. That makes, that makes perfect sense. So really great to hear you guys are working on that because the next time I call a major service provider, I want them to be able to give me the, the, the optimal experience, right? And I know they, they got to do a lot of work on that. Well, think about it last week. For, this could be a quick example, right? Think about last week when the fiber outage that hit, that hit on Friday that affected Verizon. Yep. You know, if you're a call center agent at Verizon and, and all you know is I can't give you your X1 service right now because it's down. But if all of a sudden on your screen while you're talking, if the person's explaining that I happen to be, you know, in, in Atlanta, you could, you, you know, all of a sudden what popped up on your screen was the fact that there's a fiber cut between Charleston, South Carolina and Atlanta. And you can simply say, hey, we're working on it, but there's a fiber outage, right? I mean, that, that type of, of real-time right. data becomes very, very, very meaningful. Absolutely, because the, the worst experience for a customer calling in is, is to get no information, is to not know what's going on. When you know the, other, the person on the other end of the line also doesn't know what's going on, then you get, you get frustrated very fast. That's right. right. That's so, right. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, earlier on, you also brought up IoT and you have experience in the IoT space since, you know, maybe not necessarily so much uh, with Avaya, maybe so, but, but also earlier in your, in your career, since you know a lot about IoT, what's your thought on where we are with IoT in the market today? You know, it's, it's an exciting space. I, I, you know, being a technologist, I, 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 I love it. Um, it makes my wife crazy that we automate too much around our house, but that's just <laughs> me. Um, but that said, I think that, that connected devices will continue to pervade our lives in a lot of different ways. There's, there's definite benefits in some aspects to the consumer. There's most definitely benefits to the manufacturer. And often, you know, depending upon what we're talking about, the benefit for the manufacturer might be greater. So that, that becomes an interesting challenge for us as device makers to... Right 
find a natural balance between driving value that the consumer will receive from something new in the market, but also making it so it doesn't trip up the creepy factor, which sometimes IoT devices can, um, but, but still providing a unique value for that user to want to replace something else if it's a rip and replace kind of model. Um, that, that's one piece of it. The other piece that I think is important to think about in IoT is that you know we've kind of had some starts and stops already with IoT. And I say that in that um, uh, many companies have, have, have made an approach or a start at enabling devices in the market. And sometimes they, they may have picked a particular platform vendor they wanted to work with and they, they built on an IoT version 1.0. Um, and, you know, I think we're, we're kind of at the precipice of IO 2.2, if you will, where uh, IOT rather 2.2, where the, the second generation of platform providers are coming into market and they've really started to hone their offer. Um, we, we've seen, I've seen a lot of, of, of movement around security in the IOT space, which is utterly important. Um, and, and for device makers, the ability to, to rapidly provision and rapidly deploy is so terribly important. It, you know, it, 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 here we are in, in, in California um, or, or on the coasts of the country, and I think our, our user demographic and our, and our um, patience factor with technology is very different than what we might, might find in middle America or in the middle of any, um, any large country. And so we have to make sure devices in the IoT space are absolutely simple to deploy if we expect users to have mass adoption. Um, you know, I think we've been very fortunate in the notion of, of Wi-Fi, for example, but many users, they, they pull it out of the box, they plug it in, as long as the lights all go green, life is good. And if you start thinking about that user and asking them what their web key is um, or what their SSID is and, and all those little things that uh, I would argue that in the Bay Area we don't even think about, um, but if you ask someone in, in St. Louis, they might ask a different question back of you. And I, I think that, you know, IoT kind of is stumbling on all of those things today. Yeah, very, very interesting. And I think your your version 2.2 answer for IoT is is right on the money and, and very uh, revealing to me. I hadn't thought about it that way because I, I've been thinking, you know, a few years ago, IoT, especially industrial IoT, was clearly in the, the experiment, the science experiment phase. Then it sort of went through a lot of companies doing POCs. Right. And, and and I think you're right. It's, it's past 1.0 now for many companies and, and many users cases were probably just above a v2 where it's really starting to hit the mainstream it's becoming easy enough to create full solutions that include iot that allow you to you know sense the data coming in from the devices analyze it in real time and then take actions which is of course the the most important thing so i think 2.2 is is right on the money uh, that's that's a great insight yeah i think the other piece that's got to go along with that is is um um, companies that want to make smart devices um, often today are, are heading at it, you know, full, head, full steam ahead, just run at it like we normally would. You know, I know how to build a, uh, um, a product. I know how to, I've got a double E's on staff. I can do this. And when you think about all the disciplines involved in connecting something to the internet, that's a very different skill set than I think most of us may have in-house. In so I would encourage companies who are thinking about this to find the development partner that can help offload some of those pieces and parts um, off of their staff. Because if you think about it, you're, you're talking about network security, you're talking about perimeter security, you're talking about communications encryption between devices in the cloud, the cloud and a mobile device, 
Sure, you may have mobile app developers on staff and that's great. And maybe you've got some cloud guys, but do you have encryption expertise? Do you have radio frequency expertise? What kind of radios are you using? How are you gonna get it on their network? I mean, the list goes on. So I would encourage people to think about this from a platform perspective and, and really do the, uh, the core and context comparison of whether or not it's best in-house to go and develop and build these things or there's best to partner and go to market with, with a trusted provider. So I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I agree with that, although now you've talked me down from version 2.2 to maybe 1.8. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe we aren't up to version 2.2 yet, but I, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> so uh, are there any, let's change gears a little bit here. Are you feeling or seeing any emerging trends in technology that people aren't speaking uh, much about yet or enough yet? Or is <laughs> are we already you know, uh, bombarded with so much technology, maybe there's, no maybe there's nothing left, but what's, uh, what's on your radar maybe a little further out? What's the next? Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems to fly at you so fast these days. I'm not sure if we're not touching on it somewhere, shape or form. Mm. You know, um, I think mobility is going to be another uh, area we're going to have another another big push in. I think that with, um, you know, some of the the new cellular technologies that are that are finally making their way into the market with things like uh, voice over LTE, which is you know rolled out last year by the by the large carriers in America, um, and you combine that together with something called RCS or rich communication services, that starts to open the door for. Um, some of the things I talked about a moment ago relative to identity and, and locationing and whatnot that happens with, with mobile devices. I think that's an area we're going to see um, a number of, of, of uh, advancements in over the course of the next, next year. It's interesting that it's taken this long because it was many of those functionalities and features were demonstrated back at Mobile World, World Congress back in maybe 2012. Um, but it's taken a while for it to finally find its way into market, which I think is just a a function of, of some of the expense and, and, and realities of, of upgrading our, our mobile infrastructure. Right, but, right. I, but I think as we continue to see uh, the price of, of mobile data uh, decrease, the price of the chipsets available to us, some of the, the sub gig functions that are coming out in CAD-M, um, all of these things have implications for us in communication and devices and in the IoT space quite, quite candidly. So um, those areas are, are, are ones that, I, that I'm watching very, very closely. Well, you haven't said the word 5G yet, but I imagine a lot of what you just said is, is related to the rollout of 5G over the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I think it all reads back to it. Many, many of the, you know, 5G kind of refers more to the radio technology that's going out there. Much of the core under, underpinnings of our uh, provider networks um, are, are based on this, this, this thing that was standardized many, many years ago called IMS. And... Um, but what's really kind of cool about that is the way that Avaya builds its enterprise telephony infrastructure for its clients very much follows a very similar model. So we, we've, we've kind of uh, taken a very similar approach, if you will, to both session management as well as device provisioning and management in the enterprise in the very similar fashion that you might see running in, in, a, you know, in, a, in an AT&T or a Vodafone or Orange uh, in a cellular case. So um, I think there's definite similarities in telephony and communications infrastructures that are that are very unique there. Really interesting, interesting. So shifting from what you, you think the next thing is coming around the corner to almost the opposite question, which is which is a thing which is overhyped that you'd like to call BS on some aspect of conventional wisdom could be tech related or, or business uh, related, but anything that strikes you as uh, you just got to call BS on this. Well, I don't know if I'm going to call BS on it completely, but but you know I think the the hype around blockchain is an interesting one at the moment. Um, 
if I can find the picture, I'll, I'll forward it to you. You can post it. But I was driving along uh, Lawrence Expressway about a year ago, and there was a basically a spray painted billboard for blockchain. And I, I thought it just it kind of highlighted the. Um, it just really kind of kind of crystallized where I think the the technology was at that point. But I I, I think we're still looking for this the the problem statement. Um, it's very intriguing technology. I think it's very cool. Um, I don't think we solve for what we're going to do with it at this point. And, and, you know, as a technologist, I'm all for finding the practical application of something that we can monetize and, and do something useful and unique with, um, you know, all the cryptocurrency stuff that's going on. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> maybe I'm old school, but somehow, you know, cold, hard cash works for me. And yeah. I, 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 don't know what, I don't know what else to say. No, I'm I'm totally with you, and I think again, just for our the business uh, listeners that might not be too up on on the the terminology, you know, blockchain as a core technology of a, of a distributed database, a, a ledger, so to speak. I think you're right. There are some interesting use cases starting to evolve and be and be thought through, and and are all working at the sort of science experiment POC stage right now. Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies is something totally different, right? That's based on the blockchain technology, but there's a, I was just at a technology conference in London uh, recently, actually, well, I was in London and then one in, uh, in Amsterdam, and it had three themes, AI, AI machine learning, IoT, and blockchain. And the blockchain third of the conference was 90% uh, cryptocurrency vendors, not yeah. actually technology vendors in the, in the classic sense. So I think blockchain actually is suffering from a bit of hype right now around Bitcoin, uh, you know, price run-ups and cryptocurrency BS. But that's not to say the core technology behind blockchain, I think, will end up coming up with some interesting use cases in the years. Absolutely. Ahead. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there that it's a bit tarnished by the fact that it's only, um, well, it, it's major published use case today is in cryptocurrency. And I think that's, uh, I think you're spot on. The, the, the notion of distributed database and ledger makes perfect sense. But uh, it's unfortunate that it's been harnessed uh, or, or, or harnessed first by this um, um, dubious currency play <laughs> there you go all right enough said about that yeah, yeah. so so let's wrap it up with uh so given your you know your very vast experience obviously in your current role any key takeaways or tips for more of the business leader who is trying to figure out how to drive a real-time transformation in her business you know um it's hard to to have a generic tip that goes with that i've seen you know, I, I, interestingly enough, I've seen a lot of companies start to really uh, start talking specifically about customer experience and, and really trying to, you know, it's not a net promoter score problem anymore. It really is about the, the brand extension in the customer experience. And that's how I would encourage folks to think about it. it, it it's kind of the way if I if I if I'm if I'm honest with myself about how we bring products to market. Um, I, I first start with user experience and, and the user experience or, U, or UI is where every um, core new development starts and then we bring development into it. But we want to first identify the user experience we're trying to drive towards and then wrap a product underneath it where in, in many cases UX became second thought and I think that's often what's happened to us in the years past of customer experience is we went after the business problem and then went, oh, uh, how do we make sure the customer fits into this particular journey? So and I guess that would be my, my, my piece of guidance is really consider the consumer, the customer, 
uh, whatever you call your purchasing uh, arm or your purchaser, if you will, of your goods and services, is really understand the journey that you're trying to drive for them and what that experience through that journey will be. Yeah, right on. And I love what you said. NPS is not enough. Net Promoter Score is not enough anymore. Focus on the user experience. Use these enabling technologies to build that amazing user experience in real time, which is, of course, what customers want. I think right. that's uh, great advice. So that uh, actually wraps it up. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today and for this great conversation. Not a problem. I enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. And for those interested in hearing more of Chris's thoughts, you can follow him on LinkedIn and Twitter at cmcgugan, C-M-C-G-U-G-A-N. And you can reach out to me or Vantic anytime at realtime at vantic.com.